Welcome. This is the Synth DIY podcast. Before we get started, I'd like to take this opportunity to thank everyone who has watched, commented, and liked the podcast we've had so far. I'd really appreciate it if you give this episode a like and consider subscribing as it really helps to grow the show. I'm here today with Ambit's Music. Hi, Ben. Do you want to say a few words to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me. We, yeah, we've definitely known each other a few years and it's good. It's good to come on the podcast. Um, yeah, so my name's, my name's Ben. Uh, I go by uh, Ambit or Ambit's Music on Instagram. I also go by Unsounded, which is my sort of sound art alias. Um, I'm a musician, I guess, uh, more a musician than a DIY artist. Uh, I'm also one of the three founding members of ModCaf as well, ModCafe Oldershot. Um, and yeah, I've been I've been writing music since about 2002, I would say. That's awesome. Yeah, because you've been on the scene the whole time I've been into Eurorack. You've always been there in the local scene. And I think we first must have met at the Brighton Modular event a few years back. It might have been... 2019 i guess or maybe 2020 i'm not 100 percent sure um but yeah yeah i think it i think it was around then we, we met at the oscilloscope graphic artist uh diy session um yeah with andrew duff i think it might have been 2018 or something like that maybe yeah 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 which is kind of like i remember clearly sitting in that room i was at that kind of my peak building and had this kind of weird you know, like I've been doing it on my own, basically, where I've just been, um, and this was kind of one of the first opportunities to meet other synth DIYers, and we were sitting quite close together, weren't we? Yeah, no, it was good fun. I mean, yeah, I mean, I was sort of in semi-transition from Eurorack hell, really. I think I'd, I'd sort of got into it, oh God, quite a long time ago. We, we, I mean, I'm just trying to work out how long I've been with my wife. It's about 10 years. So I was probably heavily into it probably about 10 or 12 years ago. I just basically sold my entire music collection, all of my sort of synthesizers, um, all of my sort of rack synths, all of my sort of big keyboards, DX7s, CZ5000s, everything, because I just got absolutely and utterly obsessed and... um even to the point where, like, yeah, I, I basically ended up having a little bit of debt, actually, because I was just like, duh, 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 duh. so when I had to, like, sell my flat, I had to get get some, like, fees together for, this, for the solicitor, and I was like, spent all my money on Eurorack. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I think um, I was sort of in transition because I sort of ended up buying a lot of job dofer stuff. I guess I was just, like, everything and anything you know, quite a lot of cheaper, like cheaper bits and uh, less sort of really, really expensive stuff. And then I guess I became a little bit more in tune and a bit more mature about it and definitely realized I got a bit obsessed. So I sold uh, all of it again, uh, kept a few few modules like the sort of braids. And that was probably just, that was during lockdown, actually like 2019, 2020 maybe and I then started building up again slowly and a bit more maturely as I had like more responsibilities like a wife and kids and I was like no you know, I can't be just going crazy on Eurorack so um 
yeah, but I still love it. I still love it, and you know, I love the I love the freedom that it brings and the um, the sort of excitement, the happy accidents. I think it's always that happy accidents that I sort of quite quite enjoy. So, what was it that brought you to that Oscillographics um, Synth DIY workshop? Um, I think I just saw it as like on the website. I mean, I say a little bit about my sort of background. So, I mean, I'm a I'm I'm, I'm a DT teacher. I did. Um, product engineering at university i was always in i was always into design and technology as a kid uh so i did a bit of like mechatronics dabbled in a bit of sort of like mechanical engineering and on my university degree um struggled quite hard because i didn't do physics at a level i was quite good at maths but i wasn't like properly techie like some of the tech guys on my on my course but i managed to sort of you know get through with a decent decent degree and um ended up sort of falling into teaching a few years after sort of going into a bit of sort of like um, design stuff, ended up training and become a teacher. There's always a backup plan. So I ended up, you know, I had a friend who was a DT teacher and she said, they're paying me nine grand to train. So I trained to become a DT teacher. And my first job was actually teaching year 11 GCSE electronics. Because like a lot of D teachers will say to you, they're a bit more like jack of all trades, master of none, you know. And it's like I sort of got there, got to the school, and the the previous electronics teacher obviously had a meltdown, a breakdown, and he was like, you know, retiring. And they were like, right, Ben, so you've got two GCSE classes. I hear you're, you know, DT teacher. You need to get them through their GCSE electronics exam. And I was like. Well, I'm not really an electronics specialist, but I can, I can do a bit of electronics, and I guess managed to sort of get them through. And I think they did okay. And then, obviously, as electronics tends to be part of the design technology specification over the sort of few years that I was teaching Key Stage Three and Key Stage Four, I would do like little um, little kits. So normally, with like school electronics you're not really creating pcbs until sort of gcse or year year 13 and normally you buy in these like little little kits so you might buy like an amplifier or a fuse tester or like steady steady hand game really basic electronics with like you know a few resistors and then i guess like i got quite into like the resistor color code i quite like that and getting the kids to understand the different lines and they color them in and um I sort of built up my knowledge through that, really. And I think with teaching, a lot of people will probably agree is that when you're teaching electronics, you're always fault-finding. Because all you're doing, really, is these kids are going, bit, bit, bit of a soldering iron. You're trying to teach them pretty good skills, but what you're also, these kids don't have patience. So it's like, oh, sir, Mr. Francis is not working. What's wrong with my circuit? And it's just like that, you know, that, that continual identification of like you know poor or dry solder joints or like you know looking at capacitors in the wrong way or they'd put the you know the, the the anode and the node in the wrong wrong legs and just that really building up my knowledge that way but you know not really having any real sort of core foundation as i said just sort of mainly my university degree um and then i built up enough decent soldering skills that i was like okay well i know how to solder properly i know how to you, you know trace trace a track i know how to identify your core components and then 
yeah, I just ended up, I think I ended up, my first build was the Turing machine, I think it was. And I only found out like, about five years later when I sold it on that it didn't actually work. I thought it worked, but someone who probably had more experience than me told me it didn't work properly, but I was getting pretty good voltages out of it. Uh, I built that and then I built the 4MS shuffling clock multiplier, I think, was, was my other build that I did. And then and then it was that, I think. Um, so not not a massive background in, in DIY. I, I think I did, after that I did a, I had a, um, oh, what was it called now? Um, There's a few other modules that I bought that were broken. I managed to repair those, but um, yeah, I think I think I think that's I think that's but yeah, and that's how I sort of got into it, I guess. But that that was quite a heavy build, I, I thought, and I thought like we had quite a good social thing going on. And for somebody who's not, you know, real electronics buff like yourself, I was like, I need to concentrate because I can get these components in the wrong place. But it worked, it worked, and it still does. So yeah, yeah, that's sort of how I how I sort of got into DIY, I guess. No, I thought it was awesome. I remember, oh, just for the information, um, year 11, is is that like 16-year-olds? Yeah, that's 16-year-olds, yeah. yeah. So I'll just, because like, there's quite a few people who watch this around the world, so it's, okay. uh, yeah, it's like, it's, I think some of, and the GCSEs is like our end of um, secondary school um, kind of exit exams, really, aren't they? Where Yeah, they're the sort of important ones, I guess, before they go to sort of college, I guess. Um, yeah, so yeah. Actually, it's actually quite a critical time in um, your education, and I think you know certainly from from the amount I know you, I think the kids were really lucky to have someone so enthusiastic and um, to take them through that time. Yeah, I think I mean they, they <laughs> bless them. I think they didn't really know me, and it was like, well, <laughs> we got this guy who's turning up now, and uh, yeah, I think I think it was it was I was still quite young. I was only like twenty. 22 so i just finished my teacher training so yeah i mean i guess i was like pretty enthusiastic <laughs> yeah i mean that's what you're i mean you know whenever i see you at any of the uh, modcaf events which i've explained before on the show is like a hampshire in the uk that's the kind of premium meetup for um anyone who's into synthesizers there's a monthly um meetup that we do at the um west end center in aldershot which is a fantastic venue with amazing pa and facilities it's kind of ridiculous really isn't it for the for the for the for the room and the people in it we are treated to such a nice sound system yeah yeah no it's yeah it's it's amazing i mean that's that's mainly that's mainly through ian i mean he's you know he he's been living in aldershot for quite a long time and it's you know he's he's really passionate about bringing something new and bringing communities together. And I think he, I, I met Ian at a gig actually. We were performing at the same electronics night in Guildford at the Star. Uh, it was like this this first. There was a, there was a guy called Stefan, sort of we, who we know, who was sort of mainly into putting on grunge grunge nights and. He, he was sort of like quite into electronics, sort of Aphex Twin stuff. And he was like, I want to put on my first electronic night. And he happened to know Ian through playing Ian used to play in a band called Princess. So he'd already put Ian on as a, as like a metal act. And 
I was on the bill with Ian, basically. We didn't know each other. And obviously, at the time, I had my, like, you know, massive Euro rack system. And he was like, Jesus. Like, in, and I think he was still sort of in the early days of Eurorack and he was like, I haven't seen like a Eurorack so big, man. And he was like, you know, I've, I've been sort of trying to think about how we can, you know, have make Eurorack accessible to people. And I think at the same time, he was also going into Anderton starting to buy like, you know, like I think he bought the, the Moog uh, mother uh, drummer, the DFAM. And that's how he met Ben Champion. So at that time they were talking about it and it was like, oh, it's, it's, you know, it's expensive. It's not accessible. You know, there's the people are into it, but there's not massive amounts of communities. Obviously there was still Brighton that was happening. Um, and he was like, well, you know, how do you, how do you feel about trying to sort of bring something together? Um, and yeah, that's how it sort of all happened. Cause he, he also knew the person who was running the West End Centre. They were friends. And, yeah, it was sort of quite early. And we at, at the start, there's only about nine of us, I think there was. And, yeah, it's sort of grown into something quite spectacular, really. So when did the first Modcalf take place? Uh, two, 2018, I think it was. Yeah, yeah, 2000 and, Yeah, 2018, I think. No. No, we've, I've been married. How long have I been married? Five years. Yeah, I think 2000, 2018, yeah. That's great. So if I remember correctly, you were originally from the Brighton area. Mm. Uh, so um, for anyone in you know, the rest of the world, Brighton in the UK is very um, densely populated with um, people in, the, in music and the arts in general. Um, and it's one of the, one of the you know, great places on the South Coast to go and experience anything in those kind of areas. Yeah, so I, so Brighton is where I did my sort of teacher training placement. I did it at Brighton University. And um, my mum, well, yeah, so I did my training there. My brother my, my brother had lived there for quite a few years, um, about 10 years before I did my teacher training. Uh, originally from London, but he moved out there. And then, he, and then I was like, well, I can do my teacher training through Brighton University. And then my mum moved out of London to Brighton, basically, where they still both are and yeah while I was there um I sort of was quite into electronic music uh I'd already yeah I'd already been quite into electronic music so I'm just trying to work out how it all happened yeah so basically I was in originally from about 16 I was into into electronic electronic music I, I mean I used to play in, a, in quite a big metal band I used to play guitar and then I sort of, my friends took it quite seriously. I didn't really take it as much seriously. I went to university, um, started to like dabble in Reason. So my cousin gave me a copy of Reason and we would like write beats and just like MC over them, just muck around. And then he was quite into like guitars and electronics. So we'd have like a few weird keyboards, but nothing serious. But then he gave me a copy of Reason and so I was about what well, I would have been about eighteen, I think, by then. I went to university, bought myself an Oxygenate keyboard, and then that's how I like, really got into music. Um, massively into like Reason for the first sort of maybe couple of years of uni, and then the third year I bought my first bit of like 
hardware. I bought like an MC three hundred seven, and then a Behringer mixer, and then I sort of started building more stuff up. And then a couple of years later, that's how I was ended up in Brighton. So I think by the time I was in Brighton, I'd been doing music for four years, and I'd got into sort of doing more live stuff. And then I think I went to a really early, like really early beep. Like I mean, maybe even like the second beep that there was really early. And then that's how I met like all of the beep lot, Natasha guy, and then Simon. Um, and I became quite heavily, heavily into beep for, for a long time. Um, and at the same time, I was also running a club night in the Jamaica Inn. So I was, I've been DJing for a long time. So I was running a, a club night called uh, Strictly Bangers, which was like a, it was more like a sort of, place where people would come to start their like hen and stag dudes because the pub was a bit grimy but had a massive sound system and it wasn't in central Brighton it was just outside of like Hove in Portslade and I'd play like a bit of sort of breakbeat more soul funk and then I end up doing a bit of breakbeat and then like a bit of jungle and it would finish at half 11 because it had a curfew because it was a pub but um yeah at the same time I was sort of yeah doing the beep stuff I was also DJing then in Brighton as well. Strictly bangers. That is an absolutely amazing name. <laughs> yeah, it's good fun. It's good fun. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've I'd, I'd been collecting vinyl for a while and it's just, um, yeah, it's a nice opportunity. I mean, I, I, I never got paid masses. I mean, some nights I got paid 55 quid and then I'd probably drank about 10 pints as well that's like i got them free so by the time the end of the night i had 50 quid in my pocket played quite a few bangers and then was quite pissed so i quite enjoyed my saturdays actually (laughs) (laughs) so you so basically when you weren't doing strictly bangers you were doing um you're meeting up with guy simon and Natasha and the other guys doing the beat. Yeah, yeah. So doing the beat, doing the, the Brighton Experimental Electronic Performers, which is now Brighton Experimental Electronic Parties, I think. So yeah, we used to sometimes meet in the afternoon. Uh, it was mainly at the Verdict when I was with them, um, so that was quite early on. And yeah, I, I think I very early Eurorack. Uh, I think by that time. I think by that time I'd sort of moved out of Brighton, but I was still in touch with them and I was going backwards and forwards. And then that was in between like Brighton uh, Beep and then Modular Cafe. And then as Modular Cafe formed, I was like, well, I don't need to drive all the way to Brighton just to do some electronic music. And then I start, and then we started Modular Cafe, I guess, in 2018. Yeah, makes sense. I mean, I've, I have seen you obviously since then performing in Brighton. I think one of the at that same Oscillographics workshop that we did, um, you were performing there. I remember um, mm. your set was really good. Actually, I remember watching in that auditorium room. It was. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, I think I remember that. So yeah, that was um, that was with Brighton Modular Sessions, wasn't it? I think. I think that was the first thing. I can't remember how that came about, but. Um... Maybe I've met because I think I met David separately and Hadge. Uh, I think I met them separate from Beep. Actually, I think I met them online maybe first. But I know that they all know each other now. I know that David knows Simon and stuff. But uh, I think at the time I didn't know that they were linked together. To be honest, yeah. Because when I think when I played there 
in 2019 or 18. I can't remember. Um, Simon was actually playing there. So I think that there was, you know, there's definitely a connection now with everyone in that group. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. I went to um, I went to a festival. I don't know, if, don't know if you know, but I ended up going with, um, you know, Kevin, older, older Saint. Do you know Kevin? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we ended up going to play at a, tr- a festival in um, in Wales a couple of years ago, actually. Was it last year? Yeah, two years ago, uh, as part of Brighton Modular Sessions. And that was insane because everyone had been out until like 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock in the morning on the Friday night. And then there's us sitting up this like really sort of weird experimental, you know, Eurorack setup and like, People had still been up from the night before, like, oh, and like, they'd start stumbling into like this courtyard. Yeah, and there's Kevin playing this like weird loops they'd recorded into his phono gene, and people are like, oh, this is, you know, so that, yeah, they're good. They're good. They're a good, uh, c- good group. Because it's quite a tight knit group, isn't it, of performers in that um, area? And like, you always see the same names, and which is great, you know, because you get to see this like really quite involved quite developed um performance in each case because everyone's been doing it for so long um mm. they they really work the crowd they really you know have got well considered pieces of um you know music coming out of their systems i mean that's definitely where i saw you fitting into that group it's been really good to see yeah yeah it's been good and i, and I think you know for me that that sort of openness and that supportive community of beep definitely resonated with me back in the day when I was very early in my sort of live performing career. So I think I, that was my first real live performance was at beep. And, you know, over the years, it enabled me to really build up my confidence. And I think that's something that we've always tried to bring into Modcap is that, that supportive community and, and, you know, supporting people to play live because it can be very isolating, you know, like, you know, electronic music. I mean, I think, for me, it's been yeah, it's been really important for like my mental health throughout the few years. You know, there were there were years where I'd be teaching like really heavy weeks in the winter, and like I, you know, I lived in the countryside on my own for a bit, and it was like you know, electronic music was like my my thing. So you know, being able to take those ideas and those sort of performances out of a room you know, in my house in the middle of nowhere to actually perform that with, you know, in front of other people was really important. And I think Beep was fundamental to that. And I think, um, yeah, I think that's definitely something that's always resonated with me is that sort of building that supportive community and encouraging performance because, you know, we all love music, but, you know, taking that to the next level was really important to have those opportunities to play live, I think. Yeah, that was definitely my experience with you. I mean, you personally have massively encouraged me in my performances and that spirit of community that, you know, that you, as you've just explained, you've experienced yourself, your, the way that you're now spreading that and encouraging other people is absolutely fantastic. Cheers. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's good. I love, I, I love, I love seeing people sort of like, you know, have their opportunity and just, and also we can just, we have so many, so many monthly meets now. People can sort of hone their skills and, you know, go back home and evaluate what they've done and come back and, you know, share new ideas and stuff. Definitely. 
Yeah, I think that's been critical. And I think that also what I like about that environment is there's there's basically you don't have to kind of fit into a mold of anyone else's style. You can literally just go out there and you're almost encouraged to be yourself, which I think is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, we all, you know, we started, I guess we called it ModCAF. I mean, mainly because the idea of making modular accessible, but over the years, we've sort of gone up, up and down. You know, we sort of ended up being less modular heavy for quite a long time and then modular heavy again, but it all depends on the people. But as I said, we're not strictly modular. We're just trying to encourage electronic music. Uh, it's quite funny because the word, you know, mod relates to like the MOD and then you've got like the older shot on the side. And I remember when I was at Brighton Modular, uh, Brighton Modular Festival and I was doing some promotion for like our community and everyone would come up and go, Mod, Modular Cafe, Oldershot, are you like the ar- are you like the army, but you do like electronic music? And it's like, we're not linked to the army. Like, you know, we're not. It's just, it's really weird. And I just didn't really see the link for ages. And they were like, Oldershot, are you like from the army? It's like, no, we're not, man. We're just... Yeah, this is like, there's no link. Yeah, I must admit, when you kind of find out about the location and you find out that it is in older shot, it does kind of baffle you a bit because, like, if anyone doesn't know, in the UK, older shot, it, like, as Ben just explained, is, you know, massively connected with um, the army in the UK. So it's quite unusual. And, like, normally the, the nightlife and associated um, kind of, clubs and bars etc are very much geared towards you know soldiers out on the weekend kind of thing yeah yeah i mean it's an interesting place i mean uh, those of you who are from the uk you will know that uh one of the biggest things about Aldershot is they've got a very big nepalese gurkha community as well i mean i taught in a school um between well basically on the border of farnham and Aldershot. so i've taught a lot of the kids who grew up in Aldershot and there, you know, it has its social struggles, and there are there there are problems, and it's difficult, I think, to sort of have it have its own identity. But I think what we're bringing and what the West End Centre does is 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 incredible. I mean, the West End the West End Centre's been there for years. I think they've had Oasis, they've had Blur. I mean, some of like really sort of fundamental early gigs have been at the West End Centre, and it's like this sort of as you said this sort of special place with this amazing sound system in the middle of Aldershot. But it's like, that's our special thing, you know? And and I think without them, we haven't really been able to exist. I mean, we don't have... So the idea is when we originally started, we were in the... There's like a main performance space and then there's like a second room. The idea is that we would be on when there was like a main event. So sometimes there would be like a comedy act next door so we wouldn't be able to like turn the music up really hard or have any kicks, um, you know. And we don't we don't pay for the space. Any, any donations that we get from from people go straight back into, you know, the West End Centre plus any beer money. So you know, we're, we're we're really lucky to to have to have that opportunity to use the space. And this year they allowed us to use the actual main the main performance space, which as you say, like, you know, is, 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 is pretty mind blowing with a full sort of PA and sound engineer with a 25, you know, input Midas desk, so to speak. So 
Yeah, I was blown away because the first time I came, I think Akira was performing, doing um, like a music concrete um, performance using um, her Euro rack and like a vinyl deck. And she was live sampling in um, or playing vinyl, which was like something she hadn't heard before and doing like some crazy make noise um, system kind of overtones. And I, I've personally, it's been such a long time since I'd been at a music event and being that close to those speakers and i was thinking you know you have that kind of almost like a moment of panic you know like is, is it okay for it to be that loud <laughs> yeah yeah no it's great it is great it's a great space yeah yeah i think that the um it it feels very lucky i mean you can feel why the people turn up even when you get there sometimes um there might be like one or two people but by the end of it there's always a good amount yeah yeah last last month was a bit w- w- strange wasn't it because we didn't last month wasn't actually supposed to be on like we we got sort of got given that date and then we didn't really advertise it properly so we didn't really have any acts and obviously yeah it was weird wasn't it because it was just myself and Anthony just having a jam with the speakers but I mean normally it's a you know it's a bit more structured in the respect that we normally have like acts and then we have a tech spot and then we try and have a jam but in the early days it was a lot of jamming a lot of jamming and we even used to get to the point where we had to divide up the jams so that it, we could actually hear it because it ended up getting a bit too overpopulated so we'd do this thing where you would put your name in a hat and then the idea is everyone write their name in a bit of paper, fold it up, pull it in the hat, and then at random we'd pick them out and be like, right, you're jamming with this person, you're jamming with this person, and you're jam. But we haven't done as much of that recently as I guess I think, you know, people have become a lot more established and, you know, the sort of calibre has increased and that ability to support live performance more. So we do more live performance and I guess people are more confident in talking a bit more about their own passions and delivering the more sort of tech sports side of things. But... I think there's definitely a place to bring back the sort of chaos of the Modcalf jam in the future. Yeah, I really, um, I like that kind of tech spot element because I know that when I first came along, there was definitely kind of like a questions and answers element to everyone's performance. You know, they introduce what they were doing, what the ideas were going to be presented during their performance. And then they do the actual performance and then take questions and answers afterwards. And I found that, to be really interesting yeah yeah i mean ian's really good at sort of you know we we used to sometimes take uh take turns in being the sort of pa pa person but i think ian's really good at getting information out of people in a sort of uh supportive way and he asks the right questions really and i think i think yeah as you say it's about trying to understand the ideas behind what people are doing in a bit more detail i guess yeah, and support and sort of supporting that sort of educational element, I think. Definitely. And I think that it helps, especially with the style of music, because I think, you know, going back to that point, I was saying about how it, people are encouraged to be themselves in that space. Um, and, and often when someone's performing and you haven't got the context, you don't get the full picture of what's being presented. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Especially, yeah, especially if you're right. You know, some people still see it as like, you know, boxes with wires, don't they? So having that, that input of sort of, you know, the modules and the on the sort of signal path is, is really important. Yeah. Um, so, you know, coming back round to 
synth DIY. Should we talk a little bit more about the Andrew Duffy's oscillographics module? Yeah, 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 sure. Yeah. Because yeah. that was something, you know, that I it was like a niche within a niche, really. We've um, obviously we've kind of talked about video synths before, but um, on this podcast, but actually what we're seeing with the oscillographics module is, is something slightly different. Do you want to um, give like a slight overview of what was going on with that module? Yeah. So my understanding is it was originally developed in the seventies. I think it was. Um, and the idea is it's, I think it's just two sets of oscillators, I think with cross modulation, I think it is. I think there's sort of like a cross modulation matrix where you can morph the, oscillators to basically um, cross-modulate each other, which then gives you the different different waveforms. And then you've got like some, a few potentiometers, which then increase, I guess, the spectrum. So you've got an X and a Y. And the idea is that, uh, you know, having the X and the Y will create an illusion of a three-dimensional shape, I guess. Um, and I think you need to use an oscilloscope with the X and Y input, and then you can get the oscilloscope to sort of show a 3D image. And I think at the time, or maybe was it the same night, I think Duff was doing something with lasers, wasn't he? Or was that the year before? Maybe it was the year before. I'd gone into a church after Brighton Modular Sessions, and I saw Duff via lasers into the top of this like church in Brighton and I was like what the earth is that and then I knew that he was doing a workshop and I was like I've, I've got to get in I've got to get in on these on this sort of like graphical element um you know and having taught you know graphics as well as a, as a teacher I'm quite into like the visual I'm quite a vi- I'm quite a free you know I'm, I'm a sort of three-dimensional space and my mind's quite three-dimensional so yeah no it was cool it was cool I think one of the highlights of that um, workshop was listening to some of the people there talking because I think, although I think that you're right with the laser conversation, that that was the previous year. And I think that this year there were some people who were at his workshop that were, that were within the laser community, which is apparently a whole other community. Um, and I think that some of the people there were like quite well re- regarded in that space. Mm. I'm really interested in it as well. And that's certainly something which I've kind of seen within the Brighton scene. For some reason it attracts these people that are really into these niches and, and they're also very open and accessible about it. But, but, mm. but seemingly when you go away from there, it's more, it's a little bit harder to get hold of um, that kind of, yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely that sort of video synthesis stuff. Because I think I remember going to Brighton Modular set, uh, Broger, uh, Brighton Modular Festival. Duff would have that whole room, wouldn't he, of all of like the video guys, and it was like it was like that special room, wasn't it? For me, it was always like, oh, this is like the next level. This is the next step, and it was like. I'm not ready to go in like the expensive wines yet. I'm just still on my cheap bottles of cider and my Dofa modules. And it was like, oh, this stuff is. So yeah, I mean, I, I, to be honest, you know, I'm, I'm pretty, 
pleased that I didn't go down the, you know, video lasers route because back in the day I was pretty, you know, as I said, a bit obsessed with like buying too much Eurac anyway. So I'm pleased I'm, I managed to stay away from that. <laughs> now, I seem to remember they were talking about using particular modules. I think that they were the digital more wavetable modules for for using for those oscillographics, you know, or, or the laser stuff. They were saying something about the speed of the, uh, you know, I can't remember exactly. I'd love to get, okay. I'd love to get Andrew uh, on this podcast really. Cause he's got some, really, oh, yeah. he's got some really interesting stuff. I mean, that there is like a niche group of guys and I, do you know, um, Jason Hotchkiss as well? He's yeah. 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 So is, is Jason guys done like the little, um, the sequencer, the little MIDI, the noodle box. The noodle box. Yeah. yeah, I've met Jason a few times, mainly through Guy, I think. And I think he does. He live in Guildford. I think he might live near me. Does he live in Guildford or? He no, in no, he lives in Brighton. Um, so I went down the stage with him just before, because okay. um, I because I was helping out with that noodle box as well. And I see. and I think you know what the reason why I brought it up is that he actually built his own Tesla coils in his house. Um, and they were like, I think I remember you saying, yeah, they were like decent size as well. They weren't just like mini ones. They were like, you know, like they were using, I think from neon signs, they had this really high voltage transformer that was incredibly dangerous. I mean, like, I don't know the exact number of volts involved, but I know it had to be a very high number. And then he would like make this coil, which was massive. It was literally like, it was probably about three or four foot high a coil, mm. and then it was, you know, the, and then he would like make them play music, even though because they can tune into like frequencies in some way. See, yeah, but they're literally the most terrifying things I've ever seen. Luckily, I never seen them fired up because I think I couldn't be in close proximity to something that dangerous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember. Um, you know, Finley, Finley Shakespeare from yeah. Future. So I remember having a conversation with him once about electricity and I think he had he was repairing a synthesizer and he said that he had like basically the wire he he had touched the live basically and it was only because he was holding onto the table that obviously he didn't basically electrify himself but I remember him saying to me like the best way to describe electric shock is sort of like a it's like a waveform it's like a sine wave and actually like he said it like when <laughs> it like through his head <laughs> and then down his arm into his leg and i sort of remember him saying that to me and it was like that is absolutely frightening so yeah i don't i mean that's the thing i don't have enough of a background to work with live live mains like 240 volts i just don't it just scares the out of me. I mean, I remember as a kid, I used to take apart televisions a lot of the time, and like the cafe road things would like explode and stuff. Oh, I yeah. didn't know, like, that's just what me and my mates did. We we just used to sort of, you know, take stuff apart. But I think now I just won't touch 240 volts. I think, I think, you know, I'm, I'm happy to do like Euro Rack, and that's about it, really. I think. <laughs> no, I agree. I'm the same. I've got um, a couple of projects which had the option of going. 240 volts but i'd prefer to use another method just use like the ac ac converter you know like can take it down to a sensible voltage and then you know like 
you know, like some of the Eurorack power supplies, mm. they can they can go into two forty volts, but the the ones that tend to come with our cases, they're using those external step down transformers in those little yes. black boxes, like you get on yeah. most synthesizers these days, because they don't like to put that inside the um, synth a lot of the times. Yeah, yeah, you can get a lot of time, can't you? Yeah, because I think that, uh, in general, I I won't I won't touch. I haven't had the training to confidently deal with that kind of voltage, and I personally wouldn't entertain it too much. <laughs> no. So, um, what about so with in terms of builds, other than the um, music thing modular, and you made the rotating clock divider, was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I bought I bought this. Bought this uh it's a show. It's basically a Norns Fates. So it's a mono Norns copy that I bought off uh eBay for quite a lot of money. <laughs> and at the time I think I contacted you and I was like, Well, I spent about three hundred and fifty quid on a kit. And it was like, who do I know who's got, you know, who's got better knowledge than me who will probably save me from losing 350 pounds? And in the end, I was like, I'm going to go for it. And yeah, it works without any problems at all. And it was pretty, it was a pretty complex build because you've got the LCD is, is um, direct. I think you've got a little header, but even then the header, you know, you've got to get it completely flat because otherwise it won't fit in the case um you know and you, all of these are all all of these components are obviously surface uh, they're all they're all through holes so there's no there's no surface mount or anything but it's pretty complex i would say it's the most complex thing that i've had to build um i followed a, a video on on youtube and just followed it slowly and worked on my in my kitchen um but yeah, I mean, I won't ever sell it purely because it's more of a example of my sort of electronics skills than it is for like the thing itself. I mean, I try to get it to attach to, I don't know if you know much about this, but it runs off a, a system called Maiden, which is a sort of online system and you can then download the different the different patches. But even getting into Maiden, through the Wi-Fi network, even last night was a bit of a pain because I want to basically download some more patches for it. Um, but it's an interesting thing. I mean, I've got I've got the grid, I've got the mono grid to go with it, um, and like many things, you know, it's just giving it a bit more time. I think, uh, but it's an incredibly versatile bit of kit. I think I want to get the metal case for it because this is this the critic one. But you can buy like an aluminium, an aluminium uh, case. But yeah, it's, I, see, I don't think you can get the fates anymore because I know they do shields. I think they do the shields, which is like the smaller version. But this is quite good because you've got the fourth encoder, which means you can then install the Orca software, which is a bit like the one on the the, the Gritter Guitari, I think. You know the the organelle. Oh, yeah. so I think you can run because this has a fourth encoder. You can run the organelle software off here as well. So, so it's can, just that. So gone. Is that so you can have multiple instances in running inside it? 
Well, I think it's just because it's got... I think the Organar needs four encoders, whereas the Shield only has three. But because it's um, a Raspberry Pi system, you can obviously just flash it with your own software anyway. But they don't... I, I don't know what happened with this, but basically I bought this off someone from the UK who had imported it from the States. And I've never seen these for sale. I mean, I remember when I spoke to him, he said basically you can't get them anymore. So I don't know whether what I don't know what happened, whether there was some licensing thing going on, or whether he couldn't license it because it's basically almost identical to the original. It is identical in every in every way. Whereas the shields, I guess, is more is is less of a complete copy. But for some strange reason, he was like, "Right, I'm not, I'm not doing these kits anymore, and you can only get hold of the shield." So, unless if I mean, if you, if you can get hold of one of these, let me know because I haven't seen them. Um, but yeah, still three hundred fifty quid. I could have paid three hundred fifty pound and got a, just a, a normal one. <laughs> it was a three hundred fifty pound risk. That was. <laughs> yeah, I remember you talking to me about it at the time. I think that whole kind of architecture i don't know too much about it i've got the teletype i think oh, uh, have you okay i've never i've got it in a well i say i've got it what i've got is a pcb panel and all of the 0402 smd which i'm refusing to make but i have been talking to my one opus who's like a buddy of mine on instagram because he's like really into um hot air soldering okay um, and he's he's offered to do it for me but i've i think it's just like there's something about you know there's something you don't like having something in the same way you are you are i'm sure when you've got something yourself and then giving it to someone else is kind of admitting <laughs> admitting that you couldn't do it for some reason <laughs> yeah i think i just was like well 350 pounds is a lot of money to to waste i mean i've you know i've i've sort of soldered circuit boards before with too much heat and then obviously the track comes off you know where like the copper track comes yeah. off and then you've got to scratch it back and then do a trace i remember doing that with an mpc 1000 once where i tried to replace the encoder and then the whole like track started coming up and i was like oh no so i did a little trace and you know i can do that but that's as far as my knowledge goes really um but yeah, I, I tend not to try and go too too deep. I had a similar experience recently. My friend bought an MC202, and I don't know if you know about the internals. They've got it's got got a two PCB construction. There's like a main board, and then there's like a little switchboard for the buttons to go on. That the little okay. kind of rubber buttons sit behind, and between the two, there's a ribbon cable, and the ribbon cable is quite brittle and stiff over time and my friend brought it around he didn't mz202s were previously quite cheap because no one really wanted them but i don't know what it is somebody out there it's either the the new tubutech cpu has made the price go up because people are putting this kind of this bespoke modern cpu into them so they're buying the, buying kind of mc202s and they're retrofitting them with this really powerful cpu that enables them to get all of this new functionality and gets okay because one thing about the 202 is that it's got horrible well i say horrible it's got like the first implementation of like a digital sequencer you know like hmm. 
you know like the 303 but it's like yeah. the, it's like the 303 but they tried to make it more advanced um and gave it extra features so obviously it kind of lays heavily into more of like the software realm um but okay it, yeah but it's pretty clunky and horrible to use and it, and you can't save the sequence either unless you've got like an external tape system which is okay, yeah. really weird um so they were kind of like a bit of a weird one where they kind of even the cv gate control of them went through the cpu so there was like a lag so even if you use an external keyboard on it they become they're really laggy and useless but one of the things that didn't sync got in, got involved fairly early on with it and then basically produced like a mod where you can bypass the cpu for the cv gate control and that made it a lot more usable so people okay. and i think this some i think someone had tried to do that to this particular model um okay. system and it was completely ruined and it was the same kind of situation that the ribbon cables were like sheared off so that the the actual wires themselves were like kind of fraying oh, well. and it was just like a mess in the end what i had to do was um didn't have any suitable ribbon cables and to be honest i didn't really want to remove the ones that were in there so i got this kind of silicon coated wire and had to solder individual wires between one board to the other board and it was it was a similar situation i say you know they go for a lot of money now so yeah. but luckily he didn't pay a lot of money for it but still i think if you'd bought something for like 1500 um pounds or you know it's pretty mm. close to dollars these days or probably slightly and you know they're all roughly around the same so if you'd spend that kind of money on something and it had been that ruined you'd be in a similar boat you know when you've got like an npc with a raised trace it's terrifying yeah yeah i bought a called mini korg 700s from from 150 pounds i think it was a few wow. years ago and someone had done the retrofit cv gate mod and it was fine you turn it on and it would take a little bit while to sort of warm up and it would be in tune. Uh, but again, you know, I could sort of see that someone had done this mod and it wasn't completely tight, really. Um, end up getting rid of that for like a stupid day for filter, probably. Yeah, that's what happens. <laughs> that's what happened to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All my lovely keyboards. I remember selling the DX7. Oh my god, I sold the DX7, and I bought like, I think I bought like the Core, no, no, the IntelliGel Core Gasmatron for like 180 quid. I think I think I sold the DX7 for 150 pounds, and then I bought the Core Gasmatron filter, and I was like, I just sold a whole digital workstation for one filter that I guess it can self oscillate, but still. <laughs> oh no, so. At your peak, you must have had quite a few hardware simps. How many do you think do you you had at that point? Uh, yeah, I had a few. So I had the DX7 CZ5000, uh, which is like the Casio one with the sequencer. I had uh, a JD800 as well. I had the Oberheim OB12. Did you know that one? I mean, that's horrible. I mean, it's basically a, it's a viscount, basically in an OB in a, like an Oberheim case. So it's like this sort of digital 12-voice polysynth, but it's got, and then it's got like demons in it. It's like really bad. It like would glitch out and my speakers would go, <laughs> and yeah, it's like, 
so that was that was nice but terrible um yeah i had the Korg 700 and then i had a few like roland drum machines um yeah some nice samplers as well i had like quite a few acolyte samplers but yeah i just i think over the years i just bought lots of stuff and it was back in the day where i'd learned to drive and i was going to like crazy places and buying them for not lots of money so you know what i've always done is i've always bought low anyway and i've never sold high i've just sold it back for what i can what i bought it for so that's for me you know it's always important because i can always sell it and i think it was only when i think i bought your i think i bought your electron um Oh, uh, track off you was then I ended up realizing when I sold everything, I had like large amounts of money to then reinvest in bigger items because what I'd done, at, you know, for over like 20 years is I'd spent like 150 pound there, 100 pounds there, you know, and I'd never bought anything that was sort of more than 250 pounds. So when lockdown happened and I just literally put everything on eBay, I ended up having like quite a substantial amount of cash which i could then you know reuse to rebuild the studio and i was able to buy bigger things and newer things i never bought new kit before i'd always bought like really old like damaged secondhand stuff you know so it was really nice that i was able to buy some really nice bits and i didn't really buy that many which was nice so my studio is still quite small um and then I was able to then just build up the modular, which is still, which has stayed realistic. It stayed, you know, it stayed modest, I would say. Um, but it's just having that time to really get, get to know it, I think. So going back to the, you know, all of your experience with building Synth DIY, what, what advice would you give to someone listening to this podcast or watching this podcast that would be interested in getting into um synth diy of any type so get a decent soldering iron 100 percent. get a decent soldering iron i mean i know i didn't i never had a gas powered one but even just like a, a high wattage um you know, get some decent solder i mean I, I i know back in the day i was using quite a lot of like lead based but don't try and go too educational solder i think also give yourself time don't try and rush it. I think the mistakes that I found was that I would try and wake up early and I hadn't even like had a coffee and I'd be like, right, yeah, let's get to it. And and I'd like, you know, whack a resistor in the wrong place. And so I think just having time to do it and also building up confidence and complexity as you go and also trying to find, I quite like builds on YouTube so you can follow them. Uh, and I think there's different manufacturers that have better guides. I think there's definitely, I don't know if things have improved since I started, but I think back in the day, there was definitely massive difference between the build guides in like some of them were really well thought out and quite detailed and quite visual. And then some of them were quite poor. And I think it's just finding a manufacturer that you, that you're confident with. I think also SMD, I just stayed away from SMD, I think. Um, not necessarily because of the complexity of, of actual, you know, soldering it to the board, but more the size. I just think I just don't have, 
you know i've got pretty big fingers so like you know i don't have the sort of dexterity to pick up these little these little things um and yeah just don't 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 spend loads of money because it might not work and even if you think you can fault find you might then mess up even more so just be prepared that you know you might lose a bit of money from it but i think the positives of finishing something and it working is always you know amazing i mean i don't i i've never had one of these separate eurorack testers or anything like that so i think what i used to always find is i take all my modules out the case just put in the diy one and then like just make sure it doesn't go pop and then it doesn't you're like all oh, right you know it works so that's great advice especially um you know taking time is something which i think we all kind of struggle with initially because there is this kind of kind of almost like a child childhood kind of desire to move forward and be quick and to be slick you almost put pressure on yourself don't you to be, mm. to be something that you can't possibly be because you don't have the experience in in performing any of these actions but for some reason you associate doing it quickly with somehow you know being proficient yeah 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 definitely i think also just checking you know do one and then check and then the next one and then check i think that's just that having that time isn't it to to do that yeah i think that some people this kind of skill we're talking about here doesn't isn't apparent in their normal working life or their daily life and that's why you know like something like doing just even a kit build where you're actually using kind of motor skills which you're not normally used to um, and doing something on a level you know of detail where it's kind of zoomed in almost into your brain and mm. you're and you're working very much in a tactile kind of environment where it's all about placement and hand-eye coordination yeah that can be a massive challenge to some people yeah yeah and i think i i always loved i i mean especially going back to sort of my 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 job is i always loved electronics because it was clean and one of my jobs was i was just teaching electronics so, so i would just do you know because dt can be split into sort of you know, you've got sort of your classic resistant materials, your woods, metals, plastics, then you've got sort of textiles, then you've got graphics, then you've got, um, you know, even food tech. And then electronics was part of obviously those those specialisms. And there was one of my jobs where I just, all I did was electronics. I was just the electronics teacher. And I think what I loved about the environment is it was, it was calm because kids have to concentrate. You know, they have to like really focus it was respectful because it was dangerous. Um, it was clean as well. And uh, it was tidy. It was tidy. And it was like, you know, kids took some time and they took some effort and they knew what, what they were doing. There was a bit more of a, a serious element to it. Because they weren't just hacking a bit of wood where they were like making a dovetail joint for a bit of furniture. I think they recognized that electricity was this this sort of like quite powerful element and uh they respected that and i think it yeah it was calm as you say they were building that dexterity but i love the fact that you know with electronics you could have like your soldering irons out a couple of sponges 
you know, I'd always say to the girls, you know, make sure you put your legs under the table because if you get soldered on your tights, the solder would come off the table and then it'd have holes in their tights or, you know, it'd go through. So just that real cleanness of just having all the kits in a little bag, you know, and they'd just like tip them out, make it, and then wherever they got up to, they'd pull it back in the bag. And it would go in a box, you know, like each class was like in a box of like 25 different kits. Whereas if, you know, what I do now is like, you know, I could be doing a bit of welding or a bit of like brazing on the metal area and then a bit of like laser cutting, like things are big and there's lots of things and dust and different materials and it can be quite chaotic. So I've always liked the cleanness and the organization of electronics, I think, as a, you know, as a as a teacher and i just remember those days where my classroom would just be so tidy and now it's just like got shit everywhere really so what about um in the kids themselves did you see like any improvements within you know that their kind of behavior from when you first started doing the um sessions with them towards the end did you see anything that maybe doing this electronic work actually improved within them I think, um, yeah, I think, I think patience, I think definitely patience, uh, and commitment, you know, recognizing that they had to take it slow because if they did it fast, they'd muck it up and it wouldn't work. Um, and also developing those, those soldering skills. I used to do like a lot of, you know, a lot of diagrams of like what a dry solder joint might look like and, you know, or, you know, making sure they had like the little, vo- the volcano as I used to try and teach them and you know how it might look like it's actually a joint but underneath it's not connected to the pad so i think just trying to teach those skills where it's like you know you're getting enough heat for the solder to flow but not too much heat that the pad is coming off and i think once they understood those sort of little techniques i think it was really positive and i think also as i said it it has a little bit more of a respect because it has more of a link to academia whereas i think maybe woodwork is you know has this link to craft so i think you know often when i would be having conversations to, to parents it was like oh you know electronics is has a slightly you know more of an academia to it and so i think it was slightly more respected in that way yeah, I understand that. That's quite an interesting point of view, actually, because, yeah, like you say, um, electronics is linked with, you know, all of the kind of hardware around us and people associate that kind of learned knowledge associated with electronic equipment with with like a with potentially um, obviously there is like levels of craft with um, woodwork, etc. But um I think initially there's a little bit more of a mystique maybe with um, yeah. electronics that kind of maybe artificially enables it kind of a greater, you know, I don't want to upset any woodworkers <laughs> listening, but, you know, there is there is a little bit more of a, yeah, like you say, academic edge maybe with the yes. electronics. Yeah, definitely. Um, how about, have you ever had any electronics projects that you haven't been able to coax into life i've kind of got a specific question around a bin of shame have you got anything that might fit into that category Um, no no not really i think 
No, I mean, I, I just, I guess, I just haven't had enough. I haven't made enough kits to have a, have a bit of shame. I think <laughs> um, I used to do a lot of circuit bending back in the day. I guess um, so. I had a few weird bins of yeah circuit circuit bent bins of shame. I would say rather than Eurorack bins of shame. Anything interesting? Did you um, take anything apart that you shouldn't have? Um, no, just just TVs, just TVs. When I mean, like back then when I was younger. But no, the circuit bending stuff was all twelve volt anyway, so that was pretty safe. I remember like the weird. What are those? The, the gum, the black. What are those? Like massive. I used to find like they like the. Some of them had like these big, like black, gums stuck to the back of the PCB. Was that like the brain? I can't remember. That was a bit weird. I don't know what they are. I'm intrigued now. What is it just like <laughs> what like a what to stick them to something or is that No, some other? but it was like it was like a component. It was like a sort of black circular component. I don't know. Okay. I'm interested. Yeah, not yeah, obviously it's not a capacitor because you'd know what that was straight away. Like an no, indu- not a capacitor, no. Like no. an inductor coil or something. I don't really know much about the inductors to be honest, but yeah, I don't know, but nothing, no, no nothing, no, nothing serious. What? Well, so, talking about your artists now, because I know that you've got. We mentioned earlier, you've got the unsounded artists that um, you yeah. created. Yeah, so I've got I've got two aliases. So I've got Ambit. I've got Ambit, which is more of my sort of I would call that my techno stuff. Um, so that's under Ambit Music Instagram, and then I also got unsounded so um i was also part of a, a a group called crosstalk during lockdown where we would share sort of loops and my unsounded uh band camp is more like the sound art stuff and experimental ambient stuff i also run uh south downs records as well uh which is a sort of ambient label um so yeah that's the sort of three places you find and the main the main place is ambit music on instagram and then you can find any other bits and pieces from there, and obviously the modular cafe as well. So, when you're not doing music, what or like maybe you're thinking about music? What about inspiration as a person? Where do you go to be inspired as a person? Um, I mean, mainly taking lots of walks with a dog. So, I mean, in the minute, I've, I've got two very young kids, so it's pretty full on. So, when I when I sort of whenever i get a moment it's like on spotify looking up you know tape ambient music taking the dog for a walk in the countryside with my massive headphones on and just sort of you know zoning out really and then coming home and then maybe in the evenings if i've got some time sort of trying to you know get an idea for a patch i think um yeah, I mean, I used to watch a lot of YouTube, a lot of like, you know, really, you know, really looking at what other people are doing. I, I sometimes get inspiration from Instagram videos, you know, just watching different artists use stuff. But I think um, it all always sort of experimenting. I think rather than sort of trying to copy, just getting an idea for something and then starting from there. Really, I've got. Another question I have to bring up. Recently, you've been involved in quite an interesting project, the Q121 project. Do you want to explain what that is to the audience? Because it's really fascinating. 
Yes, yes. So Q121, the original idea behind that came from actually Ian. So Ian is also part of, a, he's got his own um, audio-visual uh, band called Void Null. And just before lockdown, they uh, were able to get some funding to do some uh, some like performances within the Q121 space. So originally started off as Ian's small project where he went into that to do some video, audio, visual stuff. And what happened is obviously during lockdown, that basically came to a halt and it was never a, it was never came to fruition and they weren't able to obviously make it into a, into a project. So that sort of disappeared. And then it came around after one modcalf where we had a new gentleman called Tom who said, look, you know, modcalf's got to a point now where you need some type of project, some type of outcome, some type of thing that can represent what you're about. And then we, Ian started talking about the Q121. Um, and then we decided to sort of crack that off. So that's basically built around the wind tunnel in Farnborough, which is an old World War II wind tunnel where it was used to test the uh, aerodynamics of um, sort of five like, different jets and uh, aeroplanes. So it's got a really big uh, chamber at the back where the air would rotate round with these two massive propellers and the air would go round, and then in between the two propellers, you'd fit a plane to test the airflow. But behind it, where the air circulates, is a real interesting uh, chamber, basically. And it's got two massive uh, gates at the end, which are sort of staggered metal poles. And the idea is that, you know, you can really get some interesting reverbs in there. So... The project is basically based around that space and the use of that space to create original work. So we, we had 20, uh, I think it's 24 artists who performed in that space to then basically record what their performance was using the reverb. We've also got a figurehead, which is Adrian Utley. Um, so we, uh, we contacted Adrian Utley from Portishead to become the figurehead of the project. So he also recorded one of the tracks in the space. And the idea behind the outcomes are that he's going to collate a 12-track uh, 12 album, so 11 artists plus himself. He's going to pick 12 of the artists from the 24 of the recordings. Uh, we're going to put out a digital and physical release. We're also putting out a documentary about the whole process, which is partly to do with the performances of the artists, also interviews with some of the artists and the space and, and what Q121's about. And then in September, at the end of September, we're doing a two-day event where it will be open to the public where they can come and see the artists perform their Q121 pieces. We've got yourself doing a, a, a maker session um, and we've also running a modcalf alongside that throughout the uh, two-day event. So yeah, I mean, it's been it's been massive. I mean, I, I haven't been part of the, the early the early stages just because my son my son was being born and I just think at the time I just was like, well, this is massive and I wanted to make sure that I could we could, you know, give give a hundred percent 
and I and I at the time I couldn't, but now I you know I'm a bit more involved with the uh, the last days of the project, which is quite exciting. That's excellent. Thanks, Ben. That's great details, and I'm really excited to be part of the kind of end event. I know I haven't um, I haven't been down there myself. I'm really interested in the space it seems fascinating and it seems like a really rare opportunity for anyone to be involved in anything musical especially in something you know that in my mind seems kind of difficult to comprehend yeah it's amazing space it's 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 like um it's like being in a film they film quite a few films in there actually so um yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be exciting i'm really looking forward to it that's awesome. One one last question for you, Ben. Um, just to wrap up, have you got anyone out there in the music world or synth DIY world that you would um, like, you know, to draw our attention to? Maybe like someone that, or you know, a group of people or anyone out there that we might not have been aware of that inspires you in any way. Oh, that's a, that's a good question. So, um, sorry to put you on the spot. I mean, just. <laughs> Uh, I would say I'm quite I, I quite like our Benny stuff. I mean, we obviously all quite know our Benny, I guess. Uh, I, I I guess like the emotion of his stuff is quite um, is quite is quite good, uh, and also uh, Michael M- Michael Bulmer, Actually, I think. Um, He's uh, someone who I set up crosstalk with, and he's been really uh, influential in taking my music from maybe something that was quite experimental and done for myself to something that could be commercially put out. So I think, yeah, playing props to sort of Michael Bolmer, I think, um, and crosstalk, I think, is important for me because I think you know he 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 gave me the knowledge you know he he has been signed to quite a few labels he gave me the the inside knowledge and also gave me the confidence and and belief that you know although i'd been writing pretty mental electronic music for 20 years that actually if i thought about my music in more of a commercial way and didn't go too crazy i could actually do something quite good with it so i guess yeah props to michael bulmer i think thanks very much ben i think we'll um wrap it up there because i know your um, time's precious tonight so um really appreciate all your time thanks again man no thank you no it's been really good it's like sitting in the pub i feel like uh yeah it's just been really natural chatting to you really it's got i just realized it's got dark so uh yeah no no thank you and um yeah yeah look looking forward to working with you on the q121 event definitely yeah, I'm really excited um, for people's reaction to this video because it's been great for me to listen back to your story, which I have heard, obviously, over the years, you know, like different aspects of it and putting it all together in one succinct fashion really kind of represented why I wanted to bring you on the show because, you know, you're, you've been a massive influence in my, you know, my life in the modular scene locally and your encouragement and positivity has been so great and it's fantastic for other people to see what you're all about thanks again man no cheers no thank you for having me excellent nice one i'm just going to wrap up now with the end spiel as i said at the start thanks to all of you who have watched commented and liked the podcast we've had so far 
I'd really appreciate it if you give this episode a like and consider subscribing as it really helps to grow the show. See you guys next time. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks for listening.